Hey, great to have you here this morning. We're continuing our series we've called Overcomer. And uh, on this little table right here beside me, we have everything you need, uh, I'm told, to make a really good cup of coffee. So while you're thinking about that for a minute, I want to remind you tonight is soak. And I want to ask you to be here for a prayer and worship experience that is life-changing. And it is our way as a church to follow the Holy Spirit in the work of renewal that He's doing. Renewing our hearts, renewing our minds. So join us tonight, 5.30 for soak. So here's everything you need to make a good cup of coffee. Now, my wife is a coffee drinker. And she tells me and has told me, reminded me of this for years, that drinking coffee is a social behavior and it is best done with somebody else. So she's convinced that the reason that I don't like coffee is because I haven't found the right cup yet. So I have tried coffee. I have tried coffee at Starbucks and I've tried it in malls and I've tried it in flea markets and I've tried in little quaint coffee shops and I've tried franchise coffee and I've tried coffee in Argentina and Honduras and El Salvador and the Netherlands and, and, and once she found this cup of coffee she was convinced if I just had the right cup of coffee I would like coffee and so this we had this latte, marshmallow, Irish cream, donut hole, pixie dust, something, I don't know what it was, caramel cheesecake whatever and she she gave it to me so I took that I took that little cup of hot coffee and I held it up to my lips and I could I could feel the steam you know coming out of the cup and, and I, I, I drank that and as that warm flavorful little coffee like nectar just slid down my throat I closed my eyes and I just savored it and then I opened my eyes and she was staring at me she said, so? I said, I love it. She said, really? I've been waiting for this day. You love it? And I said, no. That's what I've been trying to tell you. It's not going to happen. I don't like coffee, and I'm not going to like coffee no matter what you do to me. But this is for all you coffee drinkers today. How many of you are coffee drinkers? Got some coffee drinkers else? And I can't tell you how much we appreciate the fact that you had your coffee this morning. It makes you a lot better to deal with. So thank you for that. But we have everything we need here, I'm told, to make a good cup of coffee. Some of these things I'll have to... I have been to a coffee plantation where they actually make coffee, which was very fascinating. But I have to make sure I understand what, what all this is. We have everything we need to make coffee. We have, we have coffee here. We have a, something to keep it hot. We have another cup to drink it out of in case you don't like the other two. We've got a creamer, we've got a filter, we've got sugar, we've got coffee beans, we've got a coffee maker. So we've got everything here to make coffee out of. And I was just thinking about people who really, 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 really like to drink coffee. That You know, there are some days that it's better to drink coffee than others. There are some days that seem to be coffee moments. Staring out the window watching it snow from a mountain cabin. Come on, coffee drinkers. Is that a good time to drink coffee? It's a good time to drink coffee, isn't it? And so I was just thinking about the goodness, for those of you who enjoy it, of coffee, reminded me how much that, you know, of the good things in life, and how much we all really want to have a good life. I mean, I want to have a good life. I want to have good health. I want to be healthy. <laughs> I want to have a good mind, and I want to have good health, and I want to live a full, energized, incredible life, and I want to live a healthy life all my life. And at 90, I want to go skydiving, and on my way down, I want to be hit by lightning and just go straight to heaven. 
So I want it to end. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through any of that stuff. I just want to be shocked straight to heaven. I want to show up at the gate in my parachute and say, I'm home. And it's over. I want to have good relationships. I want my family to be good. I, I want to have a good life, don't you? You want to have a good life? I want to have a good life. I think we all want to have a good life. Now, I get it. Suffering is part of life. I get that. But as you read the Bible, you can see, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, that there is a God behind those stories that wants us to have a good life. Now, God's reputation has fallen on hard times. Somehow or another, the way that we've done our relationship with God, somehow the way that we've done church sometimes, we get this picture of God that he's mad. And he can't wait to punish you. And finally, now that you've finally surrendered your life to him, he's been sitting there with a ruler in one hand and a whip in the other, waiting for you to come home so that you could take your medicine and he can punish you for everything you've ever done wrong. Sometimes we get that, that you know, mentality about God. He wants us to pay. That he's a perfectionist, that he's unpleasable. And whatever you do, don't get too close to him. Because if you do, he's surely going to call you to be a missionary in a country you hate. You're going to hate the people, you're going to hate the culture, you're going to hate your lifestyle. You're going to live in a hut with spiders and monkeys outside and everything that wants to eat you in the jungle. Right? So don't get too close. One of the things I want my kids to know about God is that he's good. And that he wants good things for our life he wants good things for his children I love the song that we have been singing the last several maybe couple of months he's a good good father I love that song I love the theology of that song that God is good that's good news and God wants good for your life now maybe you're sitting here saying this morning this is coming to direct uh, direct confrontation with what you're experiencing if God wants good for my life why am I going through all these hard times if God wants good for my life, he's not getting his way. So what's going on? I mean, what's the issue? Did you know that God this morning is working, and one of the things he's working on is the good of your life? Did you know that? The Bible says that, Romans 8, 28. I want to show it to you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God is working this morning for our good. So this whole series has been about how do you and I become an overcomer? Well, one of the ways that you and I become overcomers is we have to believe all overcomers have one thing in common. They believe God is good and they believe God is working for good. It's very hard to be an overcomer when you think God's bad and he doesn't care and he neglects you and he doesn't care what happens to you. It's very hard to be an overcomer when you believe that. But when you believe God's good and God is working for good, it makes it so much easier. People who overcome all believe this. Look, it's easy to believe God's a healer until you need healing. It's easy to believe God's a provider until you need provision. It's easy to believe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength until i got to do some things through Christ who gives me strength. Then it's harder to believe. Fear and anxiety and worry come from the place where, where we say, my life is bad, it'll always be bad, and I can't see how God can make any good out of it. That's the location where God is bad comes from. That's the location where fear and anxiety and all those things come from. So last week we had one simple statement. We said, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. 
It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. So this morning, I want to give you one thought for today. Here it is. If, if it isn't good, God isn't done. If it isn't good, God isn't done. Now, maybe you're in a situation this morning where the job situation isn't good. The family situation isn't good. The relationships aren't good. You're struggling somewhere. The health isn't good. Your life isn't good. I just came to declare to you from Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if it's not good, God's not done, and that's what he's working on. So John chapter 11, there's a story there that I want us to spend the morning on. John was a follower of Jesus, and he wrote down a lot of the things that happened in Jesus' life. And uh, if you have a church background, this story is going to be very familiar to you. If, if you don't, you may be hearing it for the first time. John 11, chapter 1. Now there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, th- let me describe uh, what the Greek word sick here means. It doesn't mean vitamin and chicken noodle soup sick. It means I see you sick. It means this guy's sick. He's bad, bad. He's not got a cold. He's not sneezing. He doesn't have hay fever. He is sick, and he's dying. This is serious, serious, serious sick. Now, here's what else is interesting in, in verse 1. If you're following along, he was from Bethany. Now, that's interesting that John, who wrote this book, would point this out, that this is where Lazarus is from. He's from Bethany. Now, that's not how we introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Jay from Alabaster. We don't introduce ourselves that way. But for some reason or another, John wanted us to know what town that Lazarus is from. And I want you to hold on to that. We'll get back to that in a minute. Verse 2 and 3, this Mary whose brother Lazarus was now sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, when, when you and I have a problem, aren't Mary and Martha doing exactly what we've been taught to do? Mary and Martha have a problem. Their brother Lazarus is sick. And so what do they do? They reach out to Jesus. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Reach out to Jesus. That maybe you've heard, uh, I, I find it um, amazing that even non-Christians do this sometimes. That's called foxhole prayers. <laughs> you get down in a foxhole, the bombs start dropping, and you say, if there is a God, there's nowhere else to turn, so I'm going to turn now. And this is exactly what these guys are doing now. They believe, they follow Jesus, they believe him, but they're doing what we're all supposed to do. They turn to Jesus when something's wrong. Verse 4 and 5, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And very, very, very important verse. If you're underlining something, underline it. I think it's incredibly profound that John decided in his commentary that's inspired by God to write this down. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. Now that's a very interesting thought because... Uh, I think that you and I are most tempted to doubt God's love when we're going through hard times. Nobody doubts God's love when they get a raise. But everybody doubts God's love when they get fired. Nobody doubts God's love on wedding day, but everybody doubts God's love on divorce day. Nobody doubts God's love when everything's going great, but when your world starts to fall apart, everybody starts to doubt God's love. But I think it's profound that the Bible tells us Lazarus was sick. He was very sick and he was going to die from this sickness. And John took a minute to write down and say, but wait a minute. 
God loved, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this story before, and if you have, if you've ever had this thought. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't that a bizarre thing? I mean, I've heard great leadership teachings and all kind of people expound on this, but I still think it's bizarre. <laughs> I don't care how much wisdom you try to put into it, it's still weird. Imagine this. Lazarus is dying, and, and they call for Jesus for help, and Jesus stays put for two more days. Now, here's how I kind of picture that. Jesus is out doing ministry. He's got his guys with him. You know, they pull down to Five Guys Burger, something like that. They pull up to a cheeseburger, to big old sack. How many of you ever had that big old sack of french fries? Come on, somebody. Somebody's not responded all day, just responded. You're with me? Five Guys french fries, and they're sitting there eating. And just as he takes that big old juicy burger, because Jesus would probably eat hamburgers, and put it right in his mouth, a, a guy comes busting through. Wait, 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 hey, hey, wait. Martha and Mary sent for you. Lazarus is dying. Come quick. Because you're the only one we know that can do something about it. And, and Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. And he says, would you pass the ketchup? And the disciples are like, no, 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 no. Jesus, did you hear what he just said? Lazarus is dying. We got to go now. We're going to go now, right? Should I start loading up the camels? We leaving right now? Loading up the sandals, whatever they travel. Should I start packing up right now? He says, no. We're going to finish lunch, and when we're done with that, I'm going to go out by the lake and read a book. This is not making sense to me. And the Bible says they stay two more days. Now, I don't care how godly you are. I don't care how godly you pretend you are. There's somebody on the planet that gets on your last nerve. Let's just talk. Sitting in your car on the cell phone with your reverse lights on while somebody else waits for your spot. Jesus, help me. People at the checkout line who have 191 items and wait until they hear the total to get their checkbook out and start writing a check. Can we just get real? People who block the entire aisle at Walmart because their cart's sideways. They just get on you, won't it? And then there are late people. I'm not talking about we had a camera watching to see who was late at church this morning. I'm talking about people who are late for everything. I'm talking about late. Every marriage, I'm convinced, has one person who's late. You might be sitting beside them. Uh, the biggest fight my wife and I ever got into before we were married was about time. We agreed to meet at the cafeteria at the university for dinner at 6 o'clock. She was there like all reasonable people would be on time at 5.50. I have a very South American view of time. I was there on time, I might add, at 6.02. I was not on time. That had been 12 minutes she had waited. 
And she, and I said, hey, how are you? I just smiled. Have my friends with me. Have my hat on backwards. (laughs) And laser beams shot through the back of my skull. Where have you been? I don't even know where I've been. I don't know where I've been. Where have I been? I'm I'm like, I'm getting beat up by four guys at one time. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know how to answer. I can tell something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And man, the tornado storm moved in, and she said, you said we were going to be here at 6 o'clock. I said we were here at 6 o'clock, 6.02 and 6 o'clock are the same time. Now I can give you a list of things not to say when you're having these kind of lively discussions. Now with that in mind, let's jump ahead to verse 17. So Jesus done ate his five guys burger and he rolls into town. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Dang. That's late. <laughs> now that's late. 602 is one thing. Four days. They done buried the guy, had the funeral, had the reunion meal, eating chicken, everybody going home, changed out of their funeral clothes, and he comes through. It's like being invited to a, a Christmas Eve party and showing up New Year's Day going, Merry Christmas! Here's Jesus! You're taking the tree down, scowling at him. It's your problem. Now, here's what's interesting. What town did the Bible say Lazarus lived in? Bethany. Here's what's interesting about Bethany. Bethany has a unique history. It's not far outside of Jerusalem, a couple, few miles. And uh, 100 or 200 years before this time, Bethany had been settled by people that were sort of like half Jewish and half Egyptian. And so as such, they would have customs of the Jewish religion, but they would also have many customs in their culture of the Egyptian uh, society and so one of the things that Egyptians would do when they would bury somebody who died is they would take the body they drain all the blood out of the body they would embalm it they would remove the heart they'd remove the tongue they'd remove the eyes they'd remove the brain they would put all those organs in a jar canister in an outer tomb and they would take the body and put it in the secondary tomb that's how they buried him so uh, I believe it's safe to say when you die And they drain all the blood out of your body and they embalm your body and they take out your eyes and your tongue and your heart and your brain. You gone. I mean, I think you did. When they separate you from those organs, you're done. Now, here's what I want you to understand, though. Jesus shows up in a town where there is no hope. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like there was no hope? Maybe you feel that today. There are people here this morning and maybe you've come today to just give this a shot. And maybe you're in a situation like that where you say, wait, 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 but you don't understand. You don't understand how complicated. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know my history. You, and I don't know any of those things. You're right. But maybe you're in the same situation like this where, where you have no, you can't see any way through what you're going through. And so Jesus shows up to the funeral four days late. And Martha, being time conscious, says... With her hand on her hip. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Mary stands behind her and says. And Jesus says. But I am the resurrection. And I am the life. 
do you believe your brother can live again? And she says, well, yes, at the resurrection, but not now. His brains have been taken out. His tongue and his eyes and his heart are gone. No, no, not, not now. And the Bible gives us the shortest verse in the entire scripture. It says Jesus wept. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. Here she is reminding him because uh, he's been there for four days. Now, a couple of interesting things here. Take away the stone. Now, I don't know if you can feel the human emotion of looking at this in real time the way they looked at it, not the way we look at it looking backwards. They didn't have the book of John. They didn't know how this was going to work out. And so I think this is the point where the disciples officially check out. They roll up into town four days late. Things are a little tense. Looks like we're going to have a church split. Things aren't going great. Four days late. They're wiping the mustard and french fries off their face. Yeah, where have we got here? Just a minute. And, and Jesus says, roll the stone away. Now see, we see victory in that. That's not how they saw it. Roll the stone away. You mean you have the audacity to show up to the funeral four days late and you want to dig him up? He's dead. Leave. You ever have anybody gouge you at your point of suffering? Leave it alone. It already hurts enough. You don't have to poke at it. Things are in a downward spiral. Martha says, but Lord, you ever have one of those prayers? But, but God, I know what you're saying, but have you ever considered? Lord, have you thought about this from my point of view? You ever had any of those prayers? But Lord, I don't think that you see the whole picture here. He's been dead for four days. You see a little jab? He's been dead for four days. You were late. If you'd have come when we asked you to, it wouldn't have happened. Now, here's the question. Was Mary or was Martha an overcomer at this point? No. Was Mary an overcomer at this point? No. Was Lazarus an overcomer at this point? No. His organs were in a jar in the other room. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, and this is where I feel like, you know, people think Jesus make him. I think Jesus had attitude sometimes. In verse 40, he said, did I not tell you? I think he did his head thing. Did I not tell you? Girl, get up on me. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? Did I not tell you when I was eating my cheeseburger, this wouldn't end in death? If it isn't good, God isn't done. And, and, and let's be honest for a minute. Isn't that the hardest part? Believing that taking God at his word. When everything in your life is screaming. In denial of what God has said. It's the hardest time to believe. When everything you experience teaches you that God is lying. It's so hard to believe him in that moment. Verse 41. So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Now here's what's interesting. They took the stone away. Who are these they? You ever say, well, you know what they say. Who are these they? And why do they get to say things? And why do we quote them? 
You know what they say. Who, who are they? The Bible doesn't tell us who these they were, but you know who I think they might have been? I think they might have been the people who saw some of his other miracles and believed him. Well, I was at a wedding the other day, and they ran out of wine, and he like shot out 300 gallons of new wine. Well, I, I saw him. There was a guy at the gate begging it, uh, and, and he healed him. I saw a blind guy. I saw a blind guy that could see now. I saw a guy who could deaf, who could hear. I saw a guy who was lame, who got up and walked. I saw a guy with disease. I saw a guy come back from the dead. I, I, you know what? If he can do that, I think he can do this. Here, you want this stone rolled? I'll move it. I think they were the ones who took him at his word. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me. Let me see this. You ever heard me pray? But I said this for the benefit of people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. You ever heard anybody pray to God and they're talking to you? It's a one eye open prayer. Father, I know that you sent me. But I'm saying this for their benefit because they think I'm late. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, this is in real time. Now, I heard somebody say, you probably heard this one time, if Jesus wouldn't have said, Lazarus, come out, and just said, come out, like they all would have jumped up. Like every tomb would have opened, and they just said, you need us? <laughs> Verse 44, the dead man came out. I don't know if he's got the jar in his hand with his organs. I don't know how that worked. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, here's the, let me translate, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If it isn't good, God isn't done. So this morning, I got everything here to make coffee. And I'm going to have to rely on other people's knowledge who know how to make coffee because I don't. I made one pot and it poured over in the floor. I never was allowed to touch the maker again. But some people will say, well, it's the coffee maker that makes the coffee good. Well, maybe it, maybe it makes it a little better. But if you put nothing in a coffee maker, you don't have nothing good. Some people say, well, it's the grinder. It's the grinder. It's the grinder that makes it good. Well, if you put your hand in the grinder, that's not good. So maybe it's not the grinder that makes it good. Like by itself. Some would say, what's well, the beans? You ever just suck on a coffee bean? Like I've seen them where they harvest them off the trees. Not good. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the creamer that makes it good or the sugar. You just open a pack and just drink sugar. And nobody believes it's the filter. Surely. Unless there's a hole in it. The coffee is good, watch, because... It's not because any of these things are good. It's because all these things, when they work together, they make something good. But none of these are good by themselves. Was Lazarus getting sick good? No. Don't you dare ever look at somebody who's sick and say, Well, praise God, this is good. Well, then come here. Let me lick you and maybe you'll get it. <laughs> I mean, if it's that good, I want to share. It's not good. Mary and Martha were worried. Was that good? No, it wasn't good. Jesus was being four days late. Was that good? No, by itself it wasn't good. But look, but when you work all these things together, it wound up in the resurrection of a dead man. 
No one of them by themselves was good. God takes all the bad stuff and he makes it good. And he's the only one I know that can do that. (laughs) Go to the funeral and sit there and stare at the coffin and say, well, this is good. It's not good. You get in the coffin. It's not good. And climb in there. There's room. They make them padded. It's cushy. Climb in there. It's okay to say, this is terrible. I mean, it's okay to look straight in the face of something and say, this is awful. This hurts. And it's painful. And it's miserable. And it's awful. And it hurts me. It's okay. It's okay to say that. It's okay to look at something and declare it bad. And the reason it's okay to do that is because one day God will take multiple things that you and I can't even see from our perspective and he will make something good out of it. In ways you never thought. If if it isn't good, God's not done. He's still working. Even when circumstances are bad, God is still good. God is good and he wants good for your life and that's the only way you're ever going to become an overcomer is to believe that. And that belief sometimes swims painfully upstream against the experiences of your life. It is a theology that has no reason. It has no experience. It has no proof sometimes. But you say, I believe that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Look, here's what's difficult about this. Sometimes you come into a moment like this and God touches you and you leave and your circumstances hadn't changed at all. And then what do you do? I've gone to bed at night wondering how I was going to make it through another day and I've woken up the next morning wondering how I was going to make it through that day. And there's only one way that makes sense. To stand in, maybe even in weakness, but in simple, rebellious faith that says, I rebel against the circumstances of my life. And somehow, some way, someday, God's going to take this bad thing, and this bad thing, and this bad thing, and this bad thing, and He's going to make something so good. That's called a miracle. And only God can do it. We get tortured when we try to figure out too much. Because there's some why questions I've got no answer for. But there comes a day of faith when you say, I don't need the answer because I have God. And what the Bible tells me is true. He is enough. He's enough. If you haven't overcome yet, he's not done. If you're not an overcomer yet, he isn't done. If what you're going through is wringing every juice of strength out of you, hold on, because God isn't done. He's still working on it. Even if you can't see him, even if you can't prove it. 
So this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team. We're going to end the service very different. And I'm going to ask nobody to leave. Everybody stay. Because when we get done with this song, I'm going to come back and lead you in prayer. But I wanted the worship team to come and sing this song. Because I believe that this is a moment that God has given us. I believe this is a moment God has given us for faith to rise, for freedom to be found, for joy to live, for hope to to explode. I believe this is a moment where God is going to come and visit us. And I want you just to absorb the words to this song as the team sings it through. And just let God, just let God touch you. Go ahead. Oh, oh, oh. 